Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, the Chief of the Defense Staff steps aside amid new allegations. We don't know what these allegations are specifically, but you can't help but think uh, it's got some link to the Vance matter or something similar to the Vance matter, which involved inappropriate relationships with, with younger military members. Record numbers of vaccine doses arrive in Canada this week as provinces begin rolling out their vaccination strategies. It's important to get these into arms as soon as possible. Um, A, so we're all protected, uh, but B, so that we really limit the the appearance or emergence of these variants of concern, that are these mutant viruses that are somewhat uh, more transmissible. Jagmeet Singh says as long as there is a pandemic, the NDP will not trigger an election. I've made that commitment that in this time when we're fighting this pandemic and we need to get vaccines, people want to move on with their life and the only way forward is to get vaccinated. That is our priority and we've called on Justin Trudeau to do do the same thing. It's Thursday, February 25th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by longtime political writer and broadcaster, Dan Legere. Dan, thank you for being with us today. Well, thanks for calling, Mark. So Defense Minister Harjit Sajjan announced late last night that Admiral Art McDonald has voluntarily stepped down as Chief of the Defense Staff as he is investigated uh, on unspecified allegations. Um, Now, this seems to be, uh, I I don't know if it's connected to or it's simply a follow-up to uh, the investigation that was already underway into the former Chief of the Defense Staff, General Jonathan Vance. Whether the two stories are connected, people are going to connect them because they are both examples of allegations against the leader of the Canadian Armed Forces. So it raises a lot of questions, doesn't it? Yeah, it really does. And it makes you wonder sort of what is going on at the absolute top ranks of the of the Canadian Forces. I mean, um, you know, they we knew they were investigating uh, General Vance, uh, who stepped aside. Admiral McDonald, uh, Admiral Art McDonald, uh, took over. Um, he was also following up on this investigation of General Vance, but now he has stepped aside. It was just a cryptic news release that literally after 11 p.m. last night. Um, that McDonald had voluntarily stepped down as chief of the defense staff as being as he is investigated on these unspecified allegations. So, like you said, it, we don't know what these allegations are specifically, um, but you can't help but think uh, it's got some link to the Vance matter or something similar to the Vance matter, uh, which involved inappropriate relationships with um, with younger. Uh, uh, military members. So, you know, it's it's really um, strange, and it suggests a, a pretty bad state of discipline at the very top of the armed forces. Yeah, and, and obviously there had been previous allegations that came to light uh, lower down in the ranks of the Canadian military and, um, and suggestions of uh, an unhealthy workplace uh, and culture, um, and there were promises in the past that that would be addressed. And, and if there are still issues at the level of the leadership of the organization, that suggests whatever work has been done in the past to address the the culture has not been successful, right? No, that's right. And and some of these senior officers, these flag-level officers, generals and admirals, 
have been the ones out saying, well, you know, we're going to change things and we're going to get to the bottom of this and we're going to fix everything up. Um, meanwhile, lower ranking, uh, you know, officers and, and uh, non-commissioned people have already been subjected to investigations and, and discipline, dismissal, etc. And so uh, it, it's sort of like the, this has drifted up through the ranks finally. Um, and it, it does kind of undermine this message they've been putting out, uh, this Operation Honor, I think it was called, where uh, they were going to stop sexual harassment in the military. Um, you know, it's a big organization. It attracts a lot of, you know, different types of people. Um, but, you know, everybody who signs up should have, does have uh, the right to serve uh, without harassment and to do their duty um, in a professional environment. So uh, this suggests to me that the problems go a lot deeper and are going to have to uh, be investigated a lot more thoroughly and, and, you know, really significant changes made at all levels of the military. All right, we'll see what happens. There may be new developments on that today, uh, but let's turn to vaccines. We're expecting record numbers of doses to arrive in Canada this week, and the provinces, of course, are working out how they're going to administer those. Uh, I know in Ontario there was news about uh, how people over 80 would start being vaccinated in March. Uh, There are uh, other provinces who are looking at this as well in terms of their timetables and their processes. Um, what are you hearing about this, and how much of a game-changer do you think this large supply of vaccines is going to be? Well, I mean, there's 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 a couple of things going on here. One of them is, um, you know, the, the sort of backlash against the slow uh, delivery of vaccines to Canada. And, of course, this comes back to the federal government, which has taken on the role of, of getting these things rounded up around the world, Uh, well, in Europe, actually, and brought into Canada. Um, There has been a gap, uh, which we're well familiar. I'm sure our listeners are are familiar with the fact that Pfizer had to slow down while they made some changes at their production facility. Um, So, you know, it's trickling in, uh, but now it's up to the provinces and even on to almost to the local micro level right across the country to actually get people into clinics where they can be safe, these vaccines can be safely administered and working out protocols, you know, for who's going to go, who's going to get the shot when. Now, Ontario has one model, but there's a different one emerging in every province. Um, And so uh, the rollout of it is going to be a... uh, provincial responsibility but uh, again there are these provincial federal tensions and the public I guess always wondering well how does this affect me and and still that doesn't seem entirely clear if if Ontario the biggest province uh, can't seem to sort of get organized to get things done even in the middle of March with quite a bit of notice that it's had you have to wonder how well everyone else is going to do or or I don't know maybe the smaller provinces will be more efficient at it that's possible too sure All right, let's talk about uh, Jagmeet Singh's comments that he will not trigger an election. Of course, it's not entirely up to him, but uh, his party will not vote uh, in a way that would lead to an election this spring if the pandemic is is continuing. As long as there is a pandemic, he's saying he doesn't support the idea of an election. Do you think the the odds of a, a spring election have gone down since the beginning of the year? Well, yeah, I, I think they have. Uh, you know, Singh's statement uh, and the message they're putting out um, 
does serve to provide some comfort for the Liberals who are trying to govern and need the NDP's support to, to stay in office. I think all the parties are justifiably nervous about the idea of calling an election in the middle of a pandemic. I mean, look what's happened in Newfoundland um, with their with their election. It looked like the coast was clearing up. They call the election, it gets started, and suddenly they're swamped with a whole bunch of new cases, um, which I'm not saying they're related to the election, but these right. things happen in, in a situation like, yeah. So and now, it's been very disruptive to the election, obviously, so it's very problematic. It is. And, it, you know, it, it just causes all kinds of issues. I, I saw in the sort of uh, small print of the news this morning that um, Elections Canada has put out a, you know, a request to get a whole bunch of uh, masks, um, and they seem to want them quickly. I guess they're just doing their job being ready for anything, because, as we know, anything could happen. But I think all the parties would be well advised to kind of stick to their knitting for the time being, and get this pandemic, get the vaccination, vaccine rollout working at least before thinking of stuff like elections to try to gain political advantage. I think there could be a tremendous backlash against any party that is seen to be trying to benefit from an election in the middle of a pandemic. So that's, that's the problem they all face. Yeah, and just quickly, there's a story about Aaron O'Toole, the conservative leader, suggesting that at recent caucus meetings, there have been questions about the direction that he's taking. O'Toole, of course, was elected conservative leader on a on a platform that is, I would say, most people would agree, is further to to the right than the one that he is presenting now. Um, so, what are your thoughts on on the internal struggles that he may be facing, and whether those are kind of a short-term thing that will will dissipate as if, if and when we do someday move into an election campaign or whether they are uh, potentially permanent fractures within his party. Well, I think there, there are more indications of the fractures in the Canadian right. I mean, let's not forget that uh, uh, Maxime Bernier has already split off with the you know, far-right uh, group into his own party. Granted, it hasn't gotten much traction with the public, but it has taken off uh, uh, that part of the what would ordinarily be the conservative voting base uh, into another party. Um, there are rumbles within the party about the treatment of Derek Sloan, you know, the anti-abortion far-right conservative MP, who's been excluded. Um, and I think these are ongoing issues. Uh, I think there, you know, there's a spillover from American politics that has taken root in the Conservative Party ranks. Um, there's this, uh, you know, the, I think the Liberals, have, you know, more gun control talk just brings up other wedges that get driven in the Conservative uh, ranks. Um, and, uh, you know, it's a party really trying to find itself yet again. And, and it's been sort of aimless, really, since Stephen Harper retired. Um, Andrew Scheer obviously couldn't pull the party together, and he was disposed of. Now O'Toole, who is a compromised candidate among compromised candidates, um, is I'm not surprised that he's having a hard time getting traction, um, and and even more so within the pu- uh, with the public. So uh, he's got a, a big job ahead of himself, and the party uh, has uh, some work to do, which I think is another thing that the Liberals must be saying gives them a bit of comfort because personally, I mean, I don't know for sure, but I don't think the conservatives are in any shape to fight an election right now. So uh, this is a, this is a time to, to stick to the government's business uh, 
and, and uh, make your points, but save the politicking for later. All right, Dan, great to have your comments on all of this today. Thank you for joining us. Okay, Mark. That's Dan Legere, longtime political writer and broadcaster. Canada and the United States are going to work in lockstep to display the seriousness of our commitment at both home and abroad. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In the Globe and Mail, Lawrence Martin asks if Canada really needs a new partnership with a crisis-ridden America. Martin writes, Canada is in a position of strength on a number of fronts, which is the country that is more equitable, more unified, less violent, less racist. Which is the country that has a better functioning democracy, a better healthcare system, a longer life expectancy, a greater social safety net? The American relationship is still of tremendous importance, but Canada's dependence on the U.S., is not as deep as it used to be. Economically, culturally, militarily, Canada is more secure than before. In the National Post, John Iveson argues Justin Trudeau appears to be on his way back from a pandemic low. Iveson writes, Aaron O'Toole's best hope was for an anti-Trudeau backlash if his promise of 6 million vaccine doses in the first quarter had fallen flat. It may yet, but the tide of events is flowing in the Prime Minister's favour. Trudeau is not out of danger yet, but there is a sense that the storm has been weathered. If Justin Trudeau can keep an even keel until vaccines have been distributed to the provinces, as he appears to be well on the way to doing, he will be hard to sink. In the Ottawa Citizen, Terry Glavin argues on China's genocide, Canada's House of Commons had to take matters into its own hands. Glavin writes, The revolt has been a long time coming. Sometimes the excuse is that Canada is short of COVID-19 gear, and so we're beholden to China's vast stores of personal protective equipment. Sometimes canola exports come into it. Sometimes it's about what an economic powerhouse China is becoming. But it's always something. What the House of Commons appears to have finally wised up to is that when it comes to China, this is just how Justin Trudeau rolls. Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. Canada's Auditor General will be tabling her first report of 2021 today. And as CPAC's Martin Stringer reports, between shipbuilding, safe drinking water for First Nations, and railway safety, there will be plenty for Canadians to watch for. Mark, Auditor General Karen Horgan will be taking a look at five different topics. Among them, she will report on the federal government's progress in funding and providing support to First Nations for clean drinking water. Her conclusions will be interesting as the Trudeau government has just had to admit that it will not meet its key promise of removing all boil water advisories in Indigenous communities by next month. The Auditor General will also follow up on the issue of rail safety, specifically whether Transport Canada is following up after rail companies have been found in non-compliance with safety standards. That issue was brought into deadly focus by the rail disaster at Lac Mégantic. Karen Horgan will also look at the issue uh, touched on in yesterday's report by the Parliamentary Budget Officer, Canada's multi-billion dollar shipbuilding strategy. She will give her assessment of the wider issue of how Ottawa has dealt with constructing new ships for the Navy and the Coast Guard, whether programs are on time, on budget, and how the government has dealt with the costs of delayed delivery of new ships. The Auditor General will table her report in Parliament at approximately 2 p.m. Eastern Time. Thanks, Martin. Also today, the Prime Minister will start the day with private meetings before speaking with the Prime Minister of Ethiopia. 
Veterans Affairs Minister Lawrence McCauley will make a virtual announcement to support Prince Edward Island's electrical vehicle charging network. Infrastructure Minister Catherine McKenna will attend a virtual infrastructure event. Labor Minister Philomena Tassi will take part in a virtual infrastructure event in Hamilton, Ontario. And Small Business Minister Mary Ng will participate in a roundtable discussion on supporting black business owners and entrepreneurs. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Thursday, February 25th. Tune into Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.